AV Nation is brought to you by Sure, because every voice matters. Hey, it's Tim Albright from AV Nation. This is your chance to tell us and tell the industry, quite frankly, what was the best thing of 2023. Nominations are open now for the AV Nation Reader's Choice Awards. Voting starts in January, but this is your chance to really kind of drive that conversation and tell us what's the best education, what's the best product, and who should be the Aviation AV Professional of the Year. So go by the website, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part, too. <laughs> On this episode of AV Week, we look back at the best topics, the most listened to podcasts, and the ones that you, our audience, said was worth looking at again. All that and more next on AV Week. This is AV Week, episode 644, recorded in all of 2023. The best of 2023. This is AV Week, normally your weekly wrap-up of the biggest stories for the AV industry. This week, though, we are looking back at the biggest stories uh, of 2023 and picking out the news that had the greatest impact on the commercial space. We start off at AV Week 600, not because it is a landmark number uh, for us, but because we talked about something that everyone has been interested this year, artificial intelligence. AI has gone from a sci-fi concept to a seriously, seriously important tool for different verticals. And I'm not gonna get in the weeds about what's machine learning and actual AI. Matt Scott has his own recap, he can do that there. Microsoft announced integration with OpenAI's ChatGPT into the Teams platform, and according to itself, <laughs> integrating a language like ChatGPT with Teams could provide a more efficient and effective collaboration. We talked to Bren Walker, Brittany DeCessory, and Tom LeBlanc about the uses of AI in the corporate AV space. Someone who used to have to take meeting minutes uh, and had to capture everything that was said, you know, it's, it's really great and it can be a great tool. I think we have to be careful that we don't lose that human connection and the human side of all of this. I think there are things and nuances that can be picked up and perceived by a human that AI necessarily can't necessarily do right now. Um, and I think we also have to keep in mind over automating things isn't always the best approach. Um, and it has its time and it has its place, but we have to think about when we implement it and when we decide, you know what, let's let it take a back seat. We need a real life person doing this right now. Um, so it definitely has its, its pros and cons. And like I said, I kind of way more towards the, I'd rather get a pen and paper to do this. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think we know. And, you know, so I, on a personal level, kind of like Brittany just described, I can see things that are really cool about it. You know, like the idea of transcribing a meeting or something like that. I can get pretty excited about that. And, you know, I, I think I read something about, um, you know, like auto creating, um, like intros to presentations and things like that, things that take time, but, you know, like it's, if, if it was done effectively would really, you know, improve presentation and allow you to economize your time better. I can get really excited about that. As somebody who represents a trade association that supports the industry though, you've got to kind of proceed a little bit cautiously with this thing. Cause you know, like recommending a technology, you know, for integrators to th start thinking about how they might incorporate it into their system designs. That's another story. We actually asked um, 
NSCA's Emerging Technologies Committee to spend some time uh, evaluating, you know, what this, like this, what is it, chat GPT? Yeah. You're trying to understand a little bit more about, you know, what it might eventually mean for integrators um, so that we can, you know, better understand it and feel more comfortable, you know, recommending or not recommending they look into it further. But I will say in my former life as a reporter, because I used to be a reporter before I worked for NSCA, I hated transcribing recorded interviews. And I did a lot of those interviews on Teams. So, so a lot of this stuff seems like a dream come true in those regards. I just want to, you know, I, I just want to differentiate my personal opinion from the associations. I started looking at Watson a long time ago and, and programming with Watson a long time ago. And I mean, I look at it this way. ChatGPT is a toddler. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do toddlers do? You know, they throw stuff. They have tantrums, you know, <laughs> sometimes they say the wrong thing. Sometimes they repeat that dad said, you know, the F word. I mean, that's, that's what toddlers do. And <laughs> machine learning is just like us, right? It, over time, it learns and it needs massive amount of exposure in order to get better. Microsoft, as we know, has a tendency to like feature overload us. And a lot of times we look at things from Microsoft and think, just take away 80% of this and give me the 20% I really want. Now, if they can, if they can actually realize with GPT, what they were trying to do with Clippy, then they might Clippy. (laughs) think about it. If they can actually realize that with GPT and remove some menu options from some of their applications, I think that's a win. Oh, Clippy was the thing that popped up. Right? If I if I open up Word next time and in a in a Clippy GPT pops up, <laughs> I'm gonna send you a text or something. <laughs> It's coming. You know, I, it's not coming. Clippy. Something else, no, right? Not Clippy. It doesn't have to be. Wasn't, it probably could be Clippy. Most people wouldn't remember Clippy. Well, no, but it would it, 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 be old but school now. But it's the same thing. Right? It would be old it, school. It would be nostalgic at this point, mm-hmm. right? Clippy. Clippy right. Somebody somewhere, some millennial has a has a tattoo of Clippy, I'm certain, right? <laughs> but, it's, but, it was, but Clippy was trying to be that. It was trying to be an intelligent agent that helped you do what you want to do. And really, you know, AI will be better at doing that than Clippy will. Mm-hmm. So I think it's all just nascent and that as things, as something like that gets more exposure, more data, more opportunities, it will get better. In terms of what we do in the industry, our approach to it is we're looking at how we use AI to streamline what we do so that we understand how it works before we try to put it in anybody's systems. You know, how can we use it to make our document generation more efficient to make it happen faster? Well, how can we use it to help us with our marketing and our business Mm -hmm. development? If we work with it as a tool, then we'll understand it. We'll know how to implement it in systems where it makes sense. And if it doesn't make sense, don't do it, you know? But anybody who's doing it now, it's sort of like, you know, we're in this universe where we accept things that are not fully baked products. Every time somebody buys a new iPhone, they're buying a, a device that is basically not fully baked. And, and it, whether, you, whether you acknowledge it or not, that's what's happening. Like, you know, tech puts products in the market all the time that are not ready. Mm-hmm. And we help them get ready. And this is going to go through that same evolution to me. 
Hello, this is Steve Greenblatt, host of AV Nation's Estate of Control podcast. Each month, Rich Fragoza and I explore trending topics, foundational subject matter related to control programming and automation in the audiovisual industry. We speak with a variety of AV professionals who share their perspective, knowledge, and experiences. Please join us for this monthly conversation. Check out Estate of Control on avnation.tv or wherever you get your podcasts. Our next segment comes from AV Week 597. I'd like to think it was our conversation about BYOD, bring your own device solutions that made it worth listening to, but it was probably this thumbnail. But as I was saying, uh, Barco released the CX50, part of their ClickShare conference line. It features automatic switching between room mode and a bring your own meeting mode. We had a chat with Taft Strickland and Ron Callis about the value of interoperability when it comes to collaboration. Bring your own device is massive. Um, and I've got to hand it to the guys at Barco for, you know, creating a solution that's not just a, you know, little black box that you can buy at, you know, Kmart or Best Buy that has, you know, the potential to <laughs> have things put on it that shouldn't be put on it, um, you know, and, and can be kept secure. So um, I've followed them for a while um, since they came out with their first gen product. I think it's pretty cool. I've seen it, um, seen it, you know, in applications and projects where our stuff's gone in. Um, and uh, funny enough, not that long ago, I went in and did a presentation, and in a meeting, and actually used the product. And it was the earlier generation. Yeah. Um, but when you look at what they've built, they've built their own secure ecosystem. Um, as versus, you know, relying on somebody else's technology uh, to go in and, you know, screen share or mirror or whatever. Um, and um, I think it's a cool product. And I think the fact that they're integrating um, you know, people who are remote as, you know, people that are in the office. I mean, as far as I can tell, that's pretty much every office right now. You know, this person's here, this person's there. Um, you know, and uh, I I think it's I think it's pretty cool. So, um, you know, again, integrating the people in the office with the people that are not in the office, um, and being able to to share back and forth and and do split screen is is pretty neat. But I do think the appetite for physical connection is there, um, and um, you know, just the whole bring your own device thing is is pretty massive. Um, you know, nobody really wants to touch stuff right now. <laughs> they still yeah. don't want to, still don't want to. <laughs> but, but I'll touch my own stuff, you know, uh, like physical devices. You know? Well, that's... yeah, cause, cause you, you, you know where it's been. Right. And that's the thing is, you know, you, you, you know what, what you've done with it. You don't know, you know, how many trips around the world, you know, something else has, has taken. So, uh, Ron, same sort of question, but also, you know, look at it from, from the, you know, how the dealers are, are interacting with, with the AV users and the IT folks. And Taft mentioned something there, and that's the security of it, right? And the security of, of these systems. How is that impacting and changing what dealers are, are having to do with the clients and what the clients are having to, I guess, allow on their systems to maintain the security of it? What really jumps out to me is two things. Certainly the, the, the UCC concept or conversation around making the folks that are working from home and making the people that are working from the office unified in 
the environment and their ability to share and participate in conferences and meetings. From a, a marketing and messaging standpoint, it is everything. It is all the rage. It is all the work that we at One Firefly are doing for the integrator to make sure that UCC is better understood. And what you're also seeing from the manufacturers is getting, they're putting R&D dollars in and their product development and their marketing around really broadening and expanding the platform of products and product mix that are gonna work for people in the home and in the office. And what I find particularly fun and interesting from Barco is they're really working in this sustainability and they're talking about uh, reducing and a well-balanced carbon footprint on all of their products. And this particular product, the CX-50, what does it say here? Is the first carbon neutral wireless conferring solution on the market. I think that that's, that is really a now. I don't know that we would have seen that in the messaging and marketing from these vendors you know, two, three, four years ago, but it's very much yeah. in terms of, I'd be curious if Taft, if you're working that into some of your product mix and, and your marketing, but I, I think there's an audience out there that are really those two hot topics, the, the UCC conversation and the sustainability conversation. It's front and center in this messaging. As far as sustainability, nobody beats us. What you bought 12 years ago still works today. Same network, do firmware updates, make things backwards compatible. There's no reason for our box to ever be a paperweight. Um, you know, come see us at the next trade show. We'll show you some new things. Might be hardware, might be software, but what you have is not a paperweight. Next, we discuss the higher education space. Dr. Micah Shippey, Director of Education Technology Consulting and Solutions at Samsung, wrote at length about the challenges presented to technology managers in higher education. So in AV Week 613, we talked to Brad Grimes, Brock McGinnis, and Kelly Perkins about what the industry could do to help campuses with their systems. I think there's two parts to that. Uh, one is from a... Uh, a facility or, or institution perspective, I think a lot of them are stuck with stuff they bought at the beginning of the pandemic and uh, rushed into service and the money's been spent and they're now begging the institutions to come up with the cash to do it right. Uh, they did it fast mm. and they did it cheap, but uh, a lot of them didn't do it right. The second part of it is on the doing it right perspective, uh, distance learning, sucks and um, uh, the um, the technology needs to shift and I found it a really interesting article because it, it seemed to focus on interactivity um, the uh, uh, distance learning sucks to an extent because of technology but a lot of it is because of the pedagogy I think that's the word um, the way that the instructors have actually learned how to instruct is live and in person uh, and where they can make eye contact and, and interact on an individual basis with students um, uh, as and when required. And they're really having challenges doing that when they've got 30 little faces um, or 130 little faces in front of them on a screen. And so um, I don't have an answer for that, uh, but uh, having sat in a number of online uh, classes and and certainly uh, seen one of my sons go through that experience, man, there's a lot yet to learn and to do. Well, I think kind of springboarding off Brock, like distance learning is so boring. <laughs> Hearing 
at a screen. I mean, I just went through some training this week, probably about 10 hours after work, just sitting and watching video after video. And it was funny, but it's still like, I don't, I don't know how people do it. Like I literally sat there and I'm like counting down the clock, trying to pay attention, trying not to do like 10 million other things while I'm doing that. And then I get distracted and it's just like, blah. So I think as Brock said, like interactivity is huge. Figuring out a way to keep the folks, you know, on the far end engaged, I think is really important, whether that's through games, whether that's through, I'm, honestly, I don't, I don't know. And I think, you know, Brock said there's so much technology that went in, you know, pre-pandemic or during the pandemic that there's just all this gear sitting there that people don't know how to use. People don't know what to do with it. And I think we're kind of at that turning point, especially in higher education of, okay, we need to make this shift and this pivot, you know, and what, what is that going to be at, at this point? And I don't know. I just, can't sit through any more online trainings. All right, Grimes, are you, are you, is, does distance learning suck? Well, yeah, but, um, <laughs> uh, to me, the most interesting that higher ed faces right now is that fewer people want to go to higher ed. I mean, enrollments are dropping and I don't know if that's a temporary thing. I don't know if it's a, a short-term economics thing. Um, if it's a post pandemic thing, but enrollments, you know, continue to go down, um, which means I think higher education institutions need to continuously prove their value. I mean, we know what people this age do like to do, like to dance around on TikTok or something. I mean, there's a lot of things you know, they're engaged with technology. I, don't, I didn't mean to, you know, that that was. I just pictured you dancing on TikTok. It, it sounded a little bit get off my lawn there, Grimes. <laughs> It was shorthand for their their uh, their tech native. Yeah. Um, so there's an opportunity um, in higher ed to redefine the value to, and it's a lot of what enterprises companies are trying to do now too is to make um, these offices that they've built out places people want to go back to. Um, I don't. I don't. And the get off the lawnish thing about me is I don't know that hybrid or remote work is is the long term solution to a lot of the things that that we're facing right now. Uh, I still think there's a ton of value. I mean, if I were back on a team, I think I'd I think I'd hike down to Fairfax or wherever I would be again, and I would be in person with a bunch of people and and ideating and whatever words we're using now for for doing productive work. Um, and in higher ed, I think that they're facing that too. And to me, technologists are in a position to help them sort of redefine the value of learning at the higher education level in a space that's engaging, that, you know, speaks to their, you know, you know, their more tech savviness. Um, so that, to me, that's, that's the biggest challenge is getting people re-engaged in higher education. Brock and Kelly both were like, you know, distance learning sucks. It might be a personality thing, right? And I'll 100% agree with this or, or cop to this. I am naturally an introvert and don't, you can at me if you want, Tim and Aviation.tv, but I am naturally an introvert. It doesn't mean I don't like people. It just means the way that I learn, the way that I engage with, you know, my, my energy level. I prefer distance learning, right? I think it's been, I think it's the most wonderful invention in the last 50 years because what Kelly described as being monotonous, 
I, I thrive on, right? Uh, you know, in, in my day job, and I'm in the process of learning a new, um, a, a new marketing automation platform. And my experience with the previous one, they had videos and they had interactive tests and they had quizzes and they had way. And this one is nothing but reading. Like it's nothing but just reading. It, it's, it's boring and it's, it's dry. I prefer the distance learning thing. Is this, is this personality driven? Is this learning? Uh, Chuck Espinoza, right? Uh, used to work for Avixa, used to teach, uh, instructed Avixa. He would, he would craft his content based on what type of learner you were. And when you came into the classes that he was at, right? If you were an, a tactile learner or you needed interaction, he would put you closer to the front of the room. If you didn't need that and you were more kind of reading or, or, or auditory, he would put you towards the back of the room. Is this more type of, of, of learning? And I just happen to have two people on the call that, that, that need, you know, personal connection. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Well, to, for the record, I'm an introvert too, and I would still rather be in a classroom or in the office. But that could be the get off my lawnism of me because you know I've that's that's what I was used to. I, I don't think that I would learn well from a distance, okay. um, and okay. it, it may not be the introvert extrovert thing. It may just be a different you know way of engaging or, or yeah. accomplishing things. I feel like I accomplish things better with people in a space, even if I'm uncomfortable <laughs> being well, around and, all And I people. do too, right? I, I love having folks in, in the office, uh, you know, mo half of my team is remote, right? Um, and so I really, I, I do get jazzed when, when we get together, right? There is that aspect, but personal learning, I guess is. Yeah, I, I, my, uh, my retort to that is I, I'm actually commenting on uh, having watched my son during the pandemic uh, down the hall and the difficulty that his instructors had engaging him in the lesson plan. I, I'm, a, I'm a huge consumer of information and I do that as an individual sport. That is not a team sport. And in fact, sitting through a lecture um, is uh, particularly now that we have phones, I, I can't imagine an in-person class and only doing one thing at a time um, would be excruciating, but um, but the ability to engage and, and um, if, if a teacher says, you know, hey, Grimes, um, click on these boxes for, for like a poll, click on these boxes for, for your opinion. And, you know, Kelly, um, uh, what do you think about that? So that's learning, that's engagement, that's involvement and uh, um, and uh, the way that it's being accomplished now or distance learning is being delivered, there's very, very little of that um, that's, uh, uh, that's involved. So we move on to our last segment, the growing significance of software in the AV control space. Steve Greenblatt, host of Sustainable Control, had his own discussion on that show about the value of software and the IT-centric shift made in AV systems. In AV Week 604, we join Steve... Adeline Tatum and Emil Vandenkovering to continue the conversation about software-based AV. Aside from endpoints, we're, we're gradually moving in that direction. I think that yeah. it's, it's very possible because if you think about the technology that exists in each of these boxes, um, who's to say that they couldn't exist on just normal IT hardware? And, and I think that more and more we're looking at what, what does that transition mean 
the the thing and and we continue to have this conversation and if you stay tuned to state of control you'll hear our latest episode which will be coming out uh it it there there's a lot to think about there's a lot of implications there because we when you're working in a uh, a, a walled garden if you will and we use that term a lot you have a lot more control and a lot less variables even going back to one of our you know the earlier conversation is that more options causes more complexity and causes more opportunity for things to not go smoothly but it, but then the other side of it it gives you more uh, adaptability and 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 uh, it gives you more options and and your you, we we can overcome some of the hurdles that may have prevented us from doing more and being being able to provide solutions so for example where we can incorporate more modern programming languages but on the flip side we also have to now start looking at more security implications so this uh, there's going to be a give and take Um, i I think that it, it, it is very much headed toward the direction of more products being under one roof in in uh, in the software side. So, and and not not to necessarily use brands, but there are um, products out there that are combining DSP and control together. There are products that uh, are, are doing more on the software side. Uh, you know, uh, Dante is a very much a, a software platform. So, so more True. we're seeing that that software is becoming. Uh, maybe the the lubrication, let's say, to 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 bring uh, the, all the hardware together. All right, Emil, same you know, same sort of question here. Beyond, because Steve kind of got into this, right? And we already talked about you know the, the AV transport over over the network. Um, Steve got into DSP there for a second. Where else do we, are we going to see? I guess basically a software based system in AV where all we have is on ramps on ramps and off ramps and everything else goes in the network like how how close are we to that system i don't necessarily agree that we're going towards a software only setup because i think there's always going to be room for uh, specific hardware uh, especially when it comes to like small form factor hardware and it's mm. just it's sometimes it's hard to have like this, this this bigger device that you have and it can do a lot of different things but you actually just need uh, the one functionality, it's also has to do with cost and things like that, right? Um, however, I do think that it's getting way more software-centric, which meaning okay. that all these different hardware devices are going to last longer. They're going to uh, be able to do more things in that smaller form factor and uh, being able to integrate with each other, being able to like use them more as like building blocks uh, to, to create your system and then let the software the, do the heavy lifting. I think that's what, what's already happening, uh, but I think that's happening more and more in a faster pace. I'm, I'm very excited about it because I'm definitely someone that's very much more on the, on the software front of things. And um, I'm excited again and again, and I can think that's kind of the overarching theme of this conversation, is that it, it, things are becoming more flexible so that it becomes, for me, it becomes Easier to connect uh, A to B and, and create a completely different result. Uh, maybe even out of the box, things where the where the device was not meant to do a certain thing. And I'm like, hey, uh, I think we can if we connect this to that, then we could do this. And in a lot of cases, it was like, well, 
maybe you shouldn't, maybe that's not uh, like the, the safest way to do things, but because things are becoming more flexible, there's more integrations, uh, it becomes more, more stable to do things like that. And I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. I think we're gonna see that uh, keep happening. And, and you, you gave a great example in the beginning where uh, you have like a, like a phone as an example, but like you have a device that might be older, but because of a software update, because of a firmware update, has completely new functions, maybe has that NDI integration or the other software integration. And to me that, I, I love it. I, I really, really enjoy uh, seeing that happen. Adeline, we'll wrap up here with you. As somebody who, who lives and breathes on a, on a campus, right? Um, one of the things that at least 100 years ago when I was a technology manager, I, we, we had several heated discussions with our IT network about putting systems on, on the network. When you, when you guys are, are talking with, with the, the IT staff at, at USC, is it something where they're freaked out, holy cow, you're going to mess up our network, or this is easy because we can do pen testing and all that jazz, or do they not even mess with it and you get your own network and this is this you stay over here and, and stay off of our network? Great question. So yes, you were right the first time. So as a part of the ITS org, we learning environments department come under that org. So our network team do freak out. Every time we want something on the network, they freak out. They actually don't want us to touch their network, so they give us field officers, field technicians to come in and do whatever we need to get done in collaboration with our engineers and our architects, of course. They have those deep conversation. But yeah, we always end up hearing those great stories. I call them great stories in our meetings that we need this done, but they're not moving quick enough. So we do get that, um, that pushback. However, um, to touch a little bit on what Emil and Steve have been saying, flexibility and adaptability all boils down, in my opinion, to learning and development. Meaning, we need to train our customers. We need to educate them. We need to have orientations. We need to have trainings. We need to have digital resources, right? Everything is the virtual world now, so it should be easy to just facilitate an open house, do something. Don't wait until a year later to want to do something. Why can't we do it quarterly or however, like a month or so before a new release? Why can't we have little session like these, like just to educate people? I feel like if we educate our customers, um, our society at large, we would get a lot less pushback and more adaptability going on. Well, that is our show. That is our best of. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for continuing to watch. Thank you for another year uh, and helping us keep Aviation uh, strong and valuable to the end users uh, and the in-house integrators of the industry. For us here at Aviation, CTI, uh, everybody here, Mitchell Tulin, Patrick um, Norton, and everybody, uh, Mangesh, Brady, Toby, everybody that makes Aviation happen on a weekly basis, we appreciate it. We hope you have a fantastic holiday season, regardless of which one you, you, you celebrate, and a fantastic and prosperous 2024. For everybody here at Aviation, go by the website, aviation.tv. It's aviation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV.
This, this, this is AV Nation. Nation. This is AV Nation.